Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Bless God, bless others, be the blessing. Are you tired of hearing this yet? Because this is who we are. This is our spiritual DNA. Bless God, bless others, and taking it to the street and being the blessing. This is, uh, this is the next part in our series. We've been looking at 1 John chapter 4, verse number 17. If you're wondering what our church theme verse is, this is our church's theme verse. Uh, it's 1 John 4, 17. It's where we get our motto from. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness, confidence is what that means, confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. We've been given the answer key to the test of the judgment seat of Christ. If you want to get an A, you have the answer key. Be as Jesus is when Jesus was physically here. We look at what Jesus did, how he loved, how he gave, um, how he led, right? We, we look at Jesus' life, and we want to live and love like Jesus did. Can I get an amen for that? That's what it means to bless others and to be the blessing, right? So there's verse number 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who, is, who fears has not been made perfect in love, talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Now, when I grew up, I was always terrified of it. Always terrified of the judgment seat of Christ. Always afraid of judgment. But when I began to follow Jesus and learn about the precepts of the Word of God and realize that I had the answer key, the judgment seat of Christ should be something that holds joy for you. We should look forward to it. Right? You follow what I'm saying? You guys borrow Matt Chandler, you tracking with me? Okay. Finally, we love him because he, he, first, he first loved us. Now, let me press pause here because somebody texted me. And I have a watch. And it says, did you announce the baby? And you know, it's a funny thing about that. I was going to put a slide in, and then I got sidetracked. Can anybody imagine me getting sidetracked? Like you're like, hey, you're in the middle of the sermon right now, and you're getting sidetracked. Sorry. So, I don't have a picture of him. I do have one on my phone. His name's Connor Anstey. And he is, look at this. Can you see that? <laughs> look at that. He's adorable-ish. He's a baby, and newborn babies are not really that cute, no matter what anybody says. But we'll say he's cute for the sake of the family. Doesn't look exactly like an alien. Um, he's adorable. He's 15, no, he's 9 pounds and 15 ounces. Oh, I'm sorry, 8 pounds and 15 ounces. So in my head, I've been just thinking, this sucker's 9 pounds. Can you imagine having a 9-pound baby, ladies? I know Pam had like 15-pound babies. 
was your heaviest 13? 10-9. Could you imagine that? So Connor is a big boy. He was almost two feet tall. He basically walked out of the womb. He was just like, <laughs> send me to school now. And that's uh, Stephen Anstey. He plays the drums here. He's also our senior high uh, student leader. Yeah, guys. And um, you really should have waited until I said Sarah Anstey because Stephen really didn't do much. All right. He didn't do a lot of work there. He just dodged the things that she was throwing at him when she was giving birth. But uh, we want to congratulate them. We got grandfather here. What do you call it? G-pop? G-pops. He's Italian, and it sounds like he's going to pop a cap in you. All right, G-pop. So uh, congratulations. Then we got whatever we're calling cap. Grampy. Granddad. Just don't call him Grandma. So, uh, so Ron Anstey and Dave Damon, new grandfathers in the church. So congratulations, everybody. Thank you, Trish. That was my wife texting me while I'm in the middle of preaching because she's just looking out for me. Um, so we thank God for that. They're, they're a young couple that follow God. Uh, I got to counsel them in their premarriage counseling, got to marry them. And just a tremendous, tremendous thing to watch kids grow up in the church. I knew them when they were little. And just now they're like almost 30, or they, yeah, almost 30, and just married, serving Jesus, and now going to raise a kid to follow Jesus. How awesome is that? We love him because he first loved us. I want to take you over to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. In this chapter of John, if you read the whole chapter, you're going to see that Jesus is praying. He's praying for his disciples, right? He's praying for not only Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? He's not just praying for the guys that were walking with him. He's not just praying for those 12 men that were following. He, he actually prays for us. He says, I'm going to pray for those that are going to come after. I'm going to pray for those that follow later. So when Jesus was praying in John chapter 17, he's praying for you and he's praying for me. Isn't that awesome? I think it's awesome. And he goes this, And the glory which you gave me, I've given them, that they may be one, as we are one, I in them and you in me, <coughs> that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me. Now I want you to pay attention to this last phrase. And have loved them as you have loved me. Right? Do you catch that? that? That the world may know, that the world may know that you sent me and that you have loved them, those that follow me, my disciples, those that have come to me for the free gift of salvation, right? Uh, that you love them as you have loved me. And so I, I wanted to grab that. Just, just briefly to emphasize this point, everything starts with God's blessing. We've been saying this for the last four weeks. Everything starts with God's love for us. We love him because he first loved us. And I explored that a little bit. And then I was thinking about it. I said, I, I, I want to really drive this point home. Because I find that a lot of us, we don't really fully grasp the love of God. In fact, I don't think we really will until we get to heaven and we live with him eternally. But that last phrase, that the world may know that you love them as you have loved me. So I don't know about you, but there have been times where I feel like Jesus went to the cross with a grudge. Anybody ever feel that way? I can't believe I got to do this. 
Couldn't you have created better people? Or that God sent his only begotten son to the cross a little grudgingly. That maybe even a little bitterness. Wish it could have been a different way. But can I, can I just drive this point home that as much as God loves Jesus Christ, he loves you? Like, let that sink in for a second. Jesus was perfect, is perfect. Never sinned, never failed, always has done everything right. What's not to love, right? And then when you look in the mirror and you think about your own life and you think about your own self, you think, I don't really deserve that kind of love. I don't, I don't measure up. And you're right, you don't measure up. And you're right, you don't deserve that kind of love, and yet that's the glorious mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God loves the unlovable. He loves those who have failed and fallen as much as he loves Jesus. That should encourage you today. Dude, that should bless you today. I hope that rocks your world today. For those of you that have been struggling with failure, those of you that have been struggling with doubt, God loves you as he loves Jesus. Man, if that doesn't blow you away, uh, hopefully you hang on and you, you, you spend some time later. Just get with God and begin to investigate what the scripture says about his love for you. Ephesians is a great place to start where he talks about the length and breadth and depth and height of the love of God. Paul believed it so much that he prayed that his church would grasp the reality of the love of God because the love of God is, I believe, the most powerful thing the world has ever seen. The love of God is the motivation for God's creating us and for saving us. And it should be the motivation of us serving him and others. Over next door, the E-Kids ministry is going to be talking about this next word, devotion. And I want to talk about devotion this morning. I want, to, I want to reset the church a little bit. And I know it takes more than one sermon to reset a church. But over the years, I feel as though Emmanuel, if there's, if there's one thing that I think that we need to work on as a church, is this word right here, devotion. This word right here, devotion. And, and there's a reason why, and I'll get into that in a moment. But devotion is love and loyalty. It's enthusiasm for a person, activity, cause, or an allegiance. It's ardor. It's passion. It's faithfulness, fealty, loyalty, and piety. That is what it means to be devoted. So I want to take us to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, begin reading in verse number 29. And now I have told you before it comes. Jesus is prophesying. He's telling them something that's going to happen before it happens. I've told you something that before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. One of the purposes of prophecy. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. When Jesus says the ruler of this world is coming, he's talking about Satan. The enemy of God, the enemy of humanity is a living being, a created being who is a fallen angel. And his name is Satan. And he's coming after Jesus. And I get the idea from what Jesus is saying that his coming against Jesus was going to be very intense 
And Jesus wasn't going to have a whole lot of time to spare from that battle to talk to his disciples. Anybody ever experienced something like that? Where there's just something so intense and there's people that want your attention and you just have to kind of look at them and say, not right now. I can't, I can't, I can't talk to you right now. I have to deal with this. Right? That's sort of what Jesus is saying. There is something coming and it's intense and I'm not going to have much time to speak with you. But I'm going to tell you what's going to happen before it happens so that when it happens, you'll, your faith is going to be bolstered and it's going to increase. But the world, but that the world may know, and this is the part I want to focus on, devotion, that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let's go from here. As this is, this is so powerful, I, I want obviously everything that we're doing is we're taking what God does and what Jesus does, his nature, his character, his motivation, and we're bringing it to us. So we start with him and then we bring it to us. So if we're going to talk about devotion, we talk about Jesus. Jesus is devoted to his father. Now, obviously, to me, that's like, that goes without question. But that verse that we just read where he said, that the world may know I love the Father. Again, I think sometimes when we look at the Garden of Gethsemane and we see Jesus falling down on his face and praying to God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Sometimes I think we get the idea that Jesus went to the cross grudgingly, right? Jesus loved his Father and so obeyed his Father. The motivation of Jesus going to the cross was his love for his dad, and his love for us. He loved his father so much that he was willing to, to do everything necessary to redeem his creation. He was devoted to his father's will. He was devoted to his father's will. We talk about the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, Father, Abba, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus was absolutely 100% devoted to his Father. And his devotion, listen, his devotion expressed itself in duty. His devotion expressed itself in sacrifice. You follow? His devotion expressed itself in obedience. In fact, Jesus said to his, his disciples, if you love me, your love will express itself, how? In obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments, is what Jesus said. Now again, we follow Jesus. Jesus loved the Father. The expression of that love is what? Obedience to the Father's will obedience to the Father's will. Jesus loved the Father, but he didn't just love the Father. He loved his disciples. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, look at the last verse there, look at the last phrase. He loved them how? To the end. He loved them to the end. He didn't give up. He didn't quit. He didn't, listen, when it got hard, he didn't throw the towel in. 
He walked up the Via Dolorosa, like the way of suffering, all the way to Calvary, Golgotha, where they hung him on a cross. And even then, as God in the flesh, he could have stepped down off of that cross, but he followed through. Why? Why did Jesus follow through? Because he loved them, us, to the end, to completion. He loved us with everything it took for him to secure the redemption of his creation. No holds barred. I talk to my son about football and I, and I coach middle school football. And, and sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. But the one thing that I want to see most from my players and the one thing that is the most important to me when I look at my son is that he, we call it left it all out on the field. You know what that means, leaving it all out on the field? doesn't mean you strip and leave it all out on the field. It means that when you finish that game, there is nothing left in the tank. You have given it everything you have. Win, lose, or draw, there's nothing left. And this is Jesus. He went all the way and gave up everything. He held nothing back because of his love, his devotion for his disciples. Jesus had an incredible devotion to his disciples. He loved them to the end. It's a bold statement. One of the closest people to Jesus made that statement. John. John's called the beloved disciple. So I would say this, if we want to learn well, if we want to learn how to love well, we need to look to Jesus. If you want to learn how to love well, you and I need to look to Jesus. So this has been something that I was 19 years old in Emmanuel Baptist Church, back on the other side where the hall is now. I was, I was preaching in nursing homes, and Pastor Clow was the associate, and he was the one responsible for assigning Sunday night services for us kiddos to preach. And I got up to preach this message on a Sunday night, 19 years old, couldn't grow a beard, couldn't grow a mustache, just a kid. I was about 150 pounds. To give you an idea, I'm about 205 right now. So I was like 50 pounds lighter, skinny, dorky, goofy kid. Like, I don't know why anybody would listen to me or follow me. And I got up in the pulpit and I preached that, listen, if you want to learn how to love well, look to Jesus. And I was specifically talking to husbands. Because the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And I said this back then, and, and it, listen, this bears uh, absolute truth today as it did back then, and the experience that I've gained, right? I'm 51 years old. The experience that I've gained over those last so many years hasn't changed the truth of the Scripture. Okay, you follow what I'm saying? The Scripture speaks truth. And it doesn't matter if it's a 19-year-old kid wet behind the ears in the pulpit or a five-year-old kid. It doesn't matter if he's 50 and has experience or no experience. It doesn't matter if you're a counselor, a preacher, a teacher, a servant, a clean. Nothing matters but the Word of God is true. And I stood there and I looked at that church at 19 years old and I said, if you want to learn how to love well, love your wife well, look to Jesus 
Read the four Gospels. See how Jesus interacted with his disciples, how he spoke with them, how he provided for them, how he protected them, how he finally gave his life for them, and how when he rose from the grave, he redeemed them and forgave them. He challenged them and confronted them. He fed them. There's this old-fashioned idea that the women are barefoot pregnant in the kitchen cooking my dinner and bring me my glass of wine. Right? Where these preachers got these ideas from, I'm not sure. It's like they didn't read their Bibles. But I'll tell you this, that Jesus, he made breakfast for his guys. He rose from the dead. Peter had betrayed them. They're all freaking out. Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm done with this. I just need to go clear my head. I'm going fishing. He goes fishing, and then they see Jesus on the shore. They can't catch any fish, and he does an old trick that he did before. He's like, have you thought of casting on the other side? Because I'm a carpenter, and I know a lot about fishing. Man, as soon as they heard that, I know that in their heart, they're like, oh, man. Jesus, uh, Jesus that's Jesus. So Peter jumps out of the boat, swims to shore. And you know what Jesus had done? He had a fire going. You know what he had in the fire? He had some fish cooking on the fire. And he cooked breakfast for his disciples. How cool is that? He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. That's why I have my Blackstone griddle out on the porch there. And I cook dinner for my wife every now and then. Because I love my wife. That's why, that's why I help around the house. Folks, you want to learn how to love well, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. The scripture teaches this on a number of occasions. That looking to Jesus and looking at Jesus and spending time with Jesus is the power to change us. Has the power to change us. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. I want to talk a little bit about that reality. Looking to Jesus. If you want to learn how to love well, look to Jesus. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil he's talking about is when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to get the law, he spent time with God, right? And the normal occurrence of spending time with God is you begin to look like God. And he came down off the mountain. His face was shining. There was a definitive mark on Moses that freaked the people out. So he put a veil on his face. He put a veil on his face. Now, now listen, Jesus came to take the veil away so that we could all spend time with God, not just Moses right? So this is what he's saying. When one turns to the Lord, Jesus, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, that's the Word of God, a mirror, the the glory of the Lord. As we look in the Word of God and we see the glory of God, we are transformed, we are being transformed into the same image from His glory to our glory. Glory in the manifestation, that's what it is, the manifestation of the nature and character of God. So we're being transformed as we look into His glory to our glory. 
we become more like Jesus the more time we spend with him and as we look in the perfect word of God. James calls the word of God a mirror as well. And he talks about what a shame it is when somebody looks in the perfect law of liberty, looks in that mirror of the word of God, forgets what they heard, walks away, and doesn't do anything to make any kind of changes. No repentance, no prayer, no confession, nothing. And James talks about what a shame it is. So here God has given us the key. You want change in your life. You want to become more like Jesus. Spend more time with Jesus. And listen, you can't spend time with Jesus without spending time in his word. Folks, prayer, word, worship, all three work in tandem together. So we are transformed from his glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. So if we want to love and look like Jesus, we need to look to Jesus. We need to look to him in the word of God. We need to look to him in our prayer life. And we need to look to him in our worship life. Disciples, as Jesus was, should be devoted to God. Jesus is our great example. He was devoted to his father. Listen, the, the, the normal, natural, supernatural outcome of that is that so are we. Do you know Jesus today? If you know Jesus today, you should be devoted to God just as Jesus was. We should have that same level of devotion that Jesus had. We should be willing to go, listen, we should be willing to go to the cross like Jesus was willing to go to the cross. You say, pastor, that's outrageous, that's extreme, that's insane. Yeah, it's biblical too. It's absolutely 100% biblical for us to have that kind of dedication and devotion to God. Matthew chapter 16, from that that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he's got to go to Jerusalem. And he's going to suffer many things from the elder and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Jesus is prophesying to his disciples about what's going to happen before it happens so that when it happens, their faith will be made whole. He goes on, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, Jesus, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now, you've heard me preach this before. Peter basically grabs Jesus by his robes and says, over my dead body, am I letting you go to Jerusalem to be killed? It's not going to happen on my watch, right? That sounds encouraging. That sounds like the right thing to do. But he turned to Peter, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, because he knew who was fueling Peter It wasn't the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not going to fuel you to disobey God. You follow? Some of y'all, y'all think the Spirit has given you permission to disobey God. The Holy Spirit never gives you permission to disobey God. The Holy Spirit is never going to lead you to do evil. Never. Now, Jesus knew the commandment of his father, did he not? I've got to go to the cross and I've got to die for the sins of the world so that the world that we created could be redeemed. And so he looks at Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, enemy. You are an offense to me for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Whoo, dude. That'll preach. We live in a day, an age, 
where we are far more mindful of the things of men than we are of the things of God. Guilty. Guilty. We don't want to sacrifice. We don't want to sacrifice. Sunday morning, that's enough for me. Somebody needs help? Ah, somebody else can help them. We're having a special service on Be Blessed Weekend. Friday night, that's date night. I can't make it. Folks, unless we're providentially hindered, I fully believe this. When God's house is open, we should be there. We should come. Folks, we, we need to make God a priority in our life. We need to be devoted to Him. We need to love Him so much that we are going to obey Him. We are going to obey Him. He said to Peter, you're mindful of the things of men instead of the things of God. Then Jesus said this to his disciples. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, you, you sound crazy. We should be willing to go to the cross for Jesus? Yeah, this is what he said. If, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, if you want to play church and you want to play at religion, just come on Sunday mornings and let that fulfill your religious obligation. If that's what you want, I'm not going to stop you from coming because I believe the Word of God will grab your heart eventually and you will be, you will be freed from the trappings of this world and you'll become an ardent follower of Jesus. But being a Christian was never meant to be confined to a Sunday morning service. That is not what being a Christian is. Sunday morning is a place where Christians come to worship and lift up our, our hearts and praise to God. It's a place where we come to be generous and to give our finances to support the ministry of God. It's a place where we come to serve others, but it doesn't stop there. He said, if, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit, what gain is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So this leads me to this question, devotion or duty? Devotion or duty? There was a time in my life where I was full of duty with very little devotion where it was all about sacrifice, all about dedication, all about serving, and I, and I lacked the heart, but I had the activity. You can't have one without the other. There's a church in the book of Revelation, the church of Ephesus. They were a serving church. They were a busy church. They had the right doctrine, right? And what does Jesus say to them? You've left your first love. You're dotting your I's and you're crossing your T's and you're here every Sunday and you come to, to Be Blessed Weekend and your Friday night prayer meeting and, and you're here whenever the church doors are open and your doctrine is solid, but you've left your first love. It's duty without devotion. Duty without devotion is empty. It's empty. Remember what 1 Corinthians says when he talks about love? I could give my body to be burned. I could sacrifice my body 
for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if I do it without devotion to God and man, if I'm just doing it out of duty, it profits me nothing. It's an empty exercise. And this is where I was. And I think there's, there's many at our church at, at one time or another, we were there. We were serving and serving and serving and serving. And at some point, it got to be more about serving than it was about the Savior. And you can't separate your service from your Savior. Everything we do has to be done out of love. Duty and sacrifice filled my vision. I lost sight of why. I became forced. It became fearful. I lost the joy in my dedication. I lost the joy in my duty. Folks, I'd lost my first love. You wouldn't know it if you were just looking. You wouldn't know it if you were just looking at me. Here all, gosh, I think there was a time where I was in church. Before I was in full-time ministry, I think I was in church four or five days a week. Serving and serving and serving, never absent. Duty first, later I rediscovered grace. Devotion or duty, it's, that's not the question. It's devotion and duty. And some of you all have given up your duty because you recognize that you weren't doing it out of love, out of a heart for Jesus. Your offerings and your, and your giving wasn't done out of a heart of love for Jesus. It was done out of a heart of fear or it was given begrudgingly. Your service wasn't, wasn't driven by love. The passion of Jesus wasn't filling your heart. It was duty, duty, duty without devotion. And I'm here to tell you, you have to have both. And it can't be devotion without duty. And this is where a lot of people fall down today. Oh, I love God. I love God. Oh, I love Jesus. And I love to sing to Jesus. But your life is devoid of duty. And devotion without duty is not devotion. Why do I say that? What did Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. Because he loved his father, what did he do? So the world can know I love my father. I did what my father told me to do. Kids, you kids that are in here, junior high, senior high in here, you want to show your parents you really love them? Obey him. You want to show your parents you really love them? Obey him. Well, I don't like that. I'm a kid. That goes against everything it means to be a kid. We're literally supposed to disobey our parents. Like it's written in our DNA. Like disobey. It's not. It's you don't have to be that way. You know, this world has been sold a false bag of goods that say when you become a teenager, you have to rebel. You know how idiotic that is? Do you know how foolish that is? Let's see, my parents, now not all parents are good parents, but most of the people in here probably are. And so my parents, who are easily twice as old as I am, have been around the block more than a time or two, are following Jesus, have a good life, are telling me not to do this. What do they know? I'm supposed to sow my wild oats. I'm supposed to follow my heart off a cliff. Obedience is an expression of love. Submission is the highest form of trust. 
God calls us to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him. We're supposed to live for Jesus. That's what taking up our cross means, living for Jesus. Um, Charles Stanley put it this way. He said, uh, when people seem to think that when the Bible says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him, it means you're supposed to deny yourself coffee, deny yourself candy, deny yourself the movies, deny yourself this, deny yourself that. He's like, that's not what the scripture is teaching. He's just saying, deny yourself. In other words, you submit yourself wholly to Jesus. And then he allows you to enjoy things in your life. He allows you to enjoy that coffee. He allows you to enjoy that movie with your son. He allows you to enjoy relationships because they are all under the umbrella of his authority. You follow It's not denying yourself things, it's denying yourself and putting yourself in the hand of Jesus who loves you and wants good things for you. And yes, at times, he wants you to suffer. He calls you to suffer, just as the Father called him to suffer for the sake of others. I've said it before, my family has gone through some suffering and I'm sure we're not done yet. I thought we were done. (laughs) I thought, you know what, the rest of our lives, we're going to just like breeze through and it's going to be wicked awesome because we've done our share in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. And now that we're in our 50s, it's going to be a piece of cake. And then God was like, no, not yet. You need to suffer for the sake of my servants. They need to see it in you. We suffer for others. So I want you to think about this. We need to live for Jesus. Devotion for Jesus means denying self, not denying self things, just denying self and bring ourselves under the authority of Jesus. Not only was Jesus devoted to his father, he was devoted to us. And not only should we be devoted to our father in heaven and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we should be devoted to his church. This is our cookout breakfast uh, at Angel's house. What was it? When was it? Last weekend? Last weekend. That's the church, the body, brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, mostly brothers there. I don't know. Maybe there's a sister. Look what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas, that it's the first fruits of Achaia, In other words, these are the first believers in the region of Achaia. And that they have devoted themselves to what? To what? The ministry of the saints. That you also submit. Now, he's calling them to submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. Folks, we, we, we need to be more than devoted to God and to Jesus in this ethereal way where we pray and we spend time in the Word and, and we obey in, in as we walk in our lives. And should I buy this car? Lord, what do you think? Do you like this car? He's like, yeah, I like that car. Get that car. I'm like, great. You follow what I'm saying? Like, Lord, uh, I, I like this girl. Should I, should I date this girl? And the Lord's like, no, you're married, dummy. I'm like, oh, rats. I thought I could be like Solomon for a second there. And Just kidding. Come on, guys. Easy. Easy. Well, that's what it means. Lord, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? How's this? How's that? 
obedience, submission to God, but not just that. We are to be devoted to our church because here's reality. This has been preached from the time Pastor Z was here because it's in the Bible. Jesus and his church are inseparable. The church is referred to in the scripture as the body of Christ. Is Jesus physically walking the earth right now? Not that I know of. And yet he is. How is he? The spirit of Christ is in you if you are a believer. The Bible says the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is in you. And you are the physical representation of Christ on the earth. And you cannot separate Jesus from his body. And the house of Stephanus was addicted, the Bible says in the King James Version. They were addicted to the ministry of the saints. In the New King James, it says devoted because that's prettier. And we understand that a little bit better, right? It's devoted. They're passionate about their church and about serving others. In the King James, he, he gets a little grittier. They were addicted to it. You know what an addiction is? Sometimes it's something that you have to do even when you don't want to do it. Anyone struggled with an addiction? Could be anything. Could be coffee, could be drugs, could be relationships, could be porn, could be alcohol, could be anything. You've struggled with an addiction. How many times have you done something and you thought, I didn't want to do that? I don't want to do that. But it overcomes you. So this is a good addiction, a passion for the things of God and for the house of God, for the people of God, a passion that just overwhelms you and overtakes you. Maybe some of us that struggle with things, maybe we should swap our struggle and replace it with a ministry to the saints, with love for one another. And by the way, if you're struggling with an addiction, you're struggling with something, can I, can I remind you of the very first thing that we said here? God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Even when you fail. Even when you fall. The church is the body of Christ. It's one of the most important things God ever created. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, he says this, Therefore, brethren, having boldness, confidence to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. If you've come to Jesus for salvation, listen, he's never going to let you go, and he has washed you in his own blood and he has cleansed you and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not what does it say forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some uh, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching not forsaking the assembly first john chapter one that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which is with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard declare we to you. That you also may have fellowship, fellowship, that's the church, with us. 
And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So when we come together as a church and we fellowship with each other, truly, our fellowship is with God, the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. I lost my place. Went all the way back. The church is not just a social club. It's not just a social club. Now, is there a social aspect to the church? Of course there is. We don't always talk about biblical things when we get together. Sometimes we talk about motorcycles and cars and trucks and technology. But you know, there's something that cuts across social norms in the church, and that's Jesus. If the church has been presented to you as just a social club, the person that presented it to you failed. And this is part of the problem we have today. I was, I was on a Christian forum and somebody was talking about, well, I don't need the church. They were, they were insinuating that church was just a man-made, made-up thing. And I just spend time with Jesus and I just spend time with God and I don't need the church. I don't need the money that gets poured into the church. I'd rather just do good things to people in my own time, in my own way. And that's a slap in the face of Jesus and that displays somebody that doesn't know the word of God. And there's a lot of people that talk in a high spiritual tone that are completely ignorant of what God has said because anybody that talks about the church that way is displaying their ignorance. The church wasn't created by man, it was created by God for man and for the world to come to Jesus. There's similarities, it's relational, it gathers regularly, but the difference is the common experience in the church is that we have trusted Jesus Christ for the salvation of our eternal souls. And that's what cuts across societal norms. That is what, that's what cuts across the rich and the poor, the educated, the uneducated. That's why somebody can get together, a white-collar person can sit down and have a coffee with a blue-collar person, and they're on equal footing, and they're both able to fellowship in an intimate, spiritual way because they know Jesus. It doesn't have to be a shared school experience or, or even a shared experience of abuse or hurt. It's a shared experience of Jesus Christ crucified, risen again, our Lord and our Savior. It is the commonality that we have. And Paul warned us that the gathering is not to be ignored. The true church is one that gathers to listen to the Bible preach, to worship the God of the Bible, and to love one another well, to be addicted to the ministry of the saints. That is the true church. It preaches Jesus Christ crucified, risen again. And church, by the way, it's not just what you get out of it. It's not just what you get out of it. It's what you give to it. It's how you love others in the body. It's not a supermarket. It's not a gym with a reward card. It's not Irving. It's not a Sunday. Listen, I loathe this. That might be a little too strong, but I very much dislike this. Come to our Sunday morning experience. It's not a flippant experience. It's the body of Jesus Christ. It's more than a concert. It's more than a movie. It's more than entertainment. It's more than a venue. 
It's a body. It's coming and loving each other. It's walking into the building with your eyes open and your heart open to see the hurts of others and to be willing to step into that place and minister to them. To love them when they're unlovable. I thank God for this place because I have been a recipient of that blessing. Now when I come to church, listen, I would say 85% of the time I come to be the blessing. Kind of hard for me as the pastor not to, wouldn't you agree? When was the last time I came to church and just sat down and said, all right, bless me, feed me. But can I tell you, as you bless others, you are blessed. I was just sitting down with one of our ladies this morning and and she was sharing with me some of her heartaches and and things that are going on in her life and and, and asked me to pray for her daughter. And and we just, I just said, let's pray for her right now. And just kind of back and forth and sharing and and, and what the Bible says, and, 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 and it was a great time of blessing. And then as, as we were leaving, she mentioned something to me about one of my kids and, and how they, they, they'll often walk up to her and just give her a hug and how she says to these kids, hey, if you ever need somebody to talk, you know, I'm here for you. I love you. If you ever want to talk to somebody, and can I tell you, man, what we've been through <laughs> this year, that was an unexpected blessing to me. To see someone in my church just love my kids. Just love my kids. But I don't come for that reason. But the Lord blessed me with it. Why do you come? We don't just come for what we can get out of it. We don't come because Angel's an awesome singer and Pam's an awesome pianist and, and Ron's an awesome bassist and Donna's an awesome guitar player and Stephen is a dad. <laughs> Pretty soon we're going to see Stephen here all the time. Because babies cry. She's like, oh, I got to go to church at practice. Let me say, let me insert this here. Don't sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. Because your family's part of the church. You think about it. Folks, the church is the body of Christ. We can't separate it from him. It's not a venue. It's not an experience. It's not a concert. It's not an entertainment. It's a body. It's a place to be challenged and cared for and care for others. So my challenge to you as the worship team comes up is be the church. Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.